Ourselves Black is a place where we own the narrative and are unapologetic about our goal, to share imagery, information, and stories infused with knowledge that promotes black mental health. This is the Ourselves Black podcast, and I'm your host, Dr. Sarah Y. Vincent. On today's edition of the Ourselves Black podcast, part one of a two-part conversation about couples therapy with guest expert, Dr. Ayana Abrams. Dr. Ayana Abrams is a licensed clinical psychologist in Georgia and the CEO and founder of Ascension Behavioral Health, LLC. Dr. Abrams enjoys providing consultation and guest speaking opportunities to organizations, specifically nonprofits, schools, churches, hospitals, and other media. She's been featured on Huffington Post Live, Therapy for Black Girls, and Silence to Shame. She is also the proud co-founder of Not So Strong, a mental health initiative focused on emotional healing of black women through use of vulnerable narratives. Hello, and welcome to today's edition of the Ourselves Black Podcast. We have as our guest today, couple therapy expert, Dr. Ayana Abrams. Dr. Abrams, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. So, Dr. Abrams, in this wide world of things that you could have chosen to do with your career as a mental <laughs> health expert, how is it that you decided that couple therapy was where you were going to spend your professional time? <sighs> that is a good question. Um, you know, you can't separate out relationships from mental health. Relationships are a huge part of how people are functioning in the world, and, and relationships are a huge part of actually helping someone's mental health. Um, so <clears throat> part of my lean into it was recognizing that when relationships are not functioning well, um, our mental health suffers. So why not use that as an in um, to really help people connect more to people around them. We're human beings. We're social beings, but also to learn a lot more about themselves. It happens through relationships. That's absolutely right. And But it sounds as if it could be challenging, right, because you don't just have one patient on the couch uh, to kind of use the visual that a lot of people have. You have two people who are bringing their own stuff and trying to build or work something uh, together. And, you know, a lot of times on TV, the couple's therapist is, is presented as this sort of referee or the couples want them to be a referee. So in real life, because, you know, TV doesn't always uh, represent right. things accurately, in real life as a couple therapy expert, how does this whole thing work? So I can't lie that there are some sessions or couples that feel like you might do a lot more refereeing. Um, so we might call the, we consider those couples um, high conflict couples where we are doing a lot more work to kind of just de-escalate the anger, de-escalate the hostility, de-escalate the hurt that's in the room so that we can have a different kind of conversation. So do I play a role of referee sometimes? Yes. Do I have a little timeout thing? Yes. Do I have a whistle? No. I haven't had a couple maybe get a whistle yet, but it's, it's, not, it's not too far-fetched. <laughs> Um, but it doesn't look as hostile or just as combated in the room oftentimes, uh, particularly after you, you build a good rapport with the couple um, and they get used to what the therapy looks like. So essentially after you move through an assessment phase, which is where I gather information about you two together as well as individual information, childhood, past relationship stuff, all that information helps me figure out what's going on with you two now. Um, you come in, and we're usually working on a few themes that tend to show up often. Uh, so I'm asking you questions around how did this show up this week or kind of what's this recurring theme that tends to cause the conflict or the argument or the breakdown um, between how you two love each other or between how you two are communicating with each other. 
Um, so what I've learned across my work is that it, it usually goes down to two or three themes. It's the same argument that happens, even if it shows up very differently. Um, so whether the argument shows up about a, 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 a discrepancy over dishwasher, kids, driving somewhere and you guys got in an argument, or watching TV and you guys got in an argument, there's usually something under that that's part of a major theme for the couple. And usually finding that and helping them realize, like, oh, you recognize it's about that thing, not the dishwasher, right? And then they're like, oh, you're right. So, and what are some of those common themes that you see come up uh, across couples or that you see come up commonly? So what couples, what I've, what I've learned over time, I've learned to, to, to discern this a lot better. Oftentimes couples come in saying communication. That's the number one thing that couples say. And in, in therapy in general, people come in saying this is the issue, and once we unpack some things, I'm able to recognize and help them recognize that it's usually not that issue. That issue is usually what's secondary or how the bigger issue is just showing up, but it's oftentimes, not most times, something much deeper. Um, so couples will come in and say communication, and what we'll unpack is that there is a lack of trust between them. Um, there, what comes up a lot more nowadays is sexual desire discrepancy. Um, one partner seems as though or thinks that they have more desire for the other partner, so now they're dealing with um, not feeling desired, not feeling loved, not feeling cared for, not getting attention. Um, so that shows up. Infidelity um, is a hot topic that comes in, so whether couples come in right after there's been a disclosure of infidelity or whether it's been a long-standing pattern and they've just gotten to the brink of it, they come in. Um, oftentimes one partner will have a mental health issue and the couple's coming in to figure out how do we deal with this because it's really getting in the way of us being able to be together because I don't know what to do for this person when they are experiencing this kind of episode. Um, so those are things that I see mostly, again, infidelity, Mental, um, mental health issues within the relationship, quote-unquote communication, um, sex. But I'll see stuff around finances, just um, issues talking about the big things, um, talking about parenting, talking about money, talking about sex, in-laws, right? So those are, those are kind of the main things that come in. But again, once you break those down, it's typically getting to we are not paying attention to each other the same way in which we used to. And that sucks. Yeah, and so when people identify these issues um, and they come in, how does, how does it work? How does the couple therapy process actually work? Okay. So I use, so there are different modes of couples therapy. I use a, a, um, a, a treatment mode called emotion-focused therapy, which is really leaned into um, what people's primary emotions are. So we differentiate between primary and secondary emotions um, to kind of get us down to our core, and then we help couples um, talk to each other from that deepest, deepest, scary, scary part of us that we feel so vulnerable with. Because oftentimes what happens is that once people have their guards down and they're really talking to each other from that deeper emotional place, there's a lot more empathy, there's a lot more understanding, um, there's a lot, everything gets softer, right, versus when we are communicating with our partners from a place of anger, hostility, pain, hurt, all of that, you miss all these cues. You don't get a lot of information from anger. And it doesn't feel good when somebody's anger, anger kind of hostile towards you. So once we're able to kind of um, de-escalate couples and they're talking from that deeper, deeper place, the work moves a very, very different way. Um, so after we move through the assessment process, a couple will come in and I will simply ask, how connected are you two feeling? 
this week or the past few weeks, depending on how when's the last time I saw them. And then they start sharing stories. One thing is that in couples therapy, there's, there's, there's very minimal gaps. There's very minimal time where we're spending five minutes not talking about anything because somebody's shy about something. Couples come in with complaints. They come in to tell me what the other person did wrong, sometimes how I need to fix them, and that the world will be okay once you fix them. I'll be fine. Just tell them to stop doing this. Um, so oftentimes I think that's why on TV it's, um, it's promoted as though I'm a referee and I'm telling somebody what's right and what's wrong and to be nice and to not do this thing or to hug them after a fight, and I don't do. That's not what couples therapy looks like at all. Um, it looks like you coming in, stating what's been going on recently, and I'm figuring out the gaps and the cycle of kind of where the communication breakdown is. Um, and after we're able to figure that out, I actually have you practice communicating from a different level um, and using different words to communicate what your emotions are. And you mentioned people coming into it from this, or part of the process is, is bringing that defensiveness down. What is it about your room or what you do that helps with that process? Oftentimes the therapy room is a neutralizing place. So what you'll notice kind of at the beginning of, of couples therapy is that some, some people are on their best behavior, all right? They're not really acting out. Some, that, that's not true for everyone. Um, but some people are on their best behavior. They're not going to act out in, in certain ways in which they do outside, which they do at home, which they did in the car right before, we got, right before they got to the session. Um, but it can oftentimes feel like a safer place where, hey, I can take this risk and say this thing um, in whichever way, and I know that somebody can come in and help me mediate it. Um, so oftentimes what happens with couples is that they have things to say and they have feelings about things, but they're so nervous that if I say this outside, the person's not going to understand me. I don't have the right words for it. I just feel so, you know, vulnerable in this. But having this safe space of the therapy room really allows couples to take more risks in what they would say and what they would share. And once you're able to take those risks and kind of get into that vulnerability, again, things, there's, a, there's a biological, and there's a, you can feel it in the room. It's remarkable. Um, there's a shift in the room when somebody just gets really honest about their emotion because usually their emotions aren't coming from a place of hostility. Oftentimes with couples, when things are happening really, really fast, it's coming from a place of hurt. It's coming from a place of fear. Um, it's coming from a place of uh, fear of abandonment, fear of rejection, misunderstanding. It's coming from these really, really um, soft and vulnerable places. And usually people aren't defensive or guarded or aggressive when there's vulnerability in the room. Usually a lot more empathy shows up. So it's helping couples realize that, oh, you still have that for your partner, how do we figure out how to make the implicit much more explicit between you two? And then get you practicing those things outside, and then we just kind of talk about that. So as you describe it, this sounds like something that could be really helpful for a lot of people. Um, but, you know, even if you're with the right person, sometimes there are going to be challenging, challenging times. And there should be. As, I like my, right. the, the, note, the, the notion or kind of the assumption is that a couple who doesn't fight is doing well. And what we understand as couples therapists and in the research, a couple who doesn't fight, somebody's lying. Somebody's lying about something or somebody's not telling their full truth of something. Because as human beings, we are different. Um, we, we want to allow ourselves to be different, but we're different, and that's going to have discrepancies, particularly around the person who I'm around the most. There's going to be something that we don't like. There's going to be something that we don't agree on. Um, and that kind of conflict and that kind of debate and that kind of disagreement is really, really healthy. But I have couples who come in and say, yeah, we don't fight, but we're here 
in couples therapy, but we don't fight. It means there's something else going on there, but for some reason you've chosen not to tell your partner what's going on. So what we're doing is kind of just unpacking that. So I'll say, hey, it's, it's, you know, I hear that you guys don't fight. I hear that there's not much, you know, arguing and hostility. So what is there? What's happening? Something has brought you into this room, so we've got to figure out what that is. So that's probably counterintuitive for a lot of people that not fighting does not mean all is well. Not fighting does not mean all is well. Not fighting means something is not being said. Does not fighting say something about the level of connection or engagement of the couple? It could. Um, it could mean, not fighting could mean that I don't care enough to fight. Um, and, and within the EFT model, we have a, um, a dynamic. We're, all, we're usually looking at it that what the interactions are between the couple. There's always a, a cycle that couples um, get into. There's a pattern. There's a dance that just repeats itself over and over and over again. So what we're helping the couple figure out is what's that dance? Because once you know what the dance is, you can see it coming. And then it's like, uh-oh, this is the thing that usually takes me into the cycle. Let me do something different to get myself out of it. And once couples have a sense of what their cycle is, the work flows a much different way. Um, but when it comes to, you know, not being, um, uh, kind of not having those conversations, not having those arguments, that can be somebody who's burnt out. So I, I actually, I used to fight with you. I used to argue with you, but I don't even say anything anymore. And I have a lot of partners who come in like that. They say, yeah, this used to be, it's still important to me, but there's no point in fighting anymore because they just don't get it. They're not going to listen. They don't care. So while I'm hurting, I just don't tell them that I'm hurting anymore because somewhere along the line, I have gotten information that they can't do anything about my hurt. So I'll just figure it out myself. Um, so that can lead to a, a disconnection. Sometimes those are things that the partners have brought into the relationship. So it's not always about things that have happened between us that's broken down. I might have come into this with these patterns from childhood, from past relationships, where I never told you anything. I've never felt really, really connected to you. But, you know, I thought that this was the thing to do next. So we stayed together, or we got married, or we decided to have children. Um, so that disconnect um, between couples can come from any which direction. Um, it happens after life, after phase of life changes. So there's a lot of disconnect between parents after children, between couples after children. Um, there's a lot of disconnect that can happen if somebody loses a job, and now we're playing different roles in the house that I didn't expect to play, or I didn't want to play. All these things can contribute to a disconnect, a move. Um, a in-laws, all those things can, can really, really have an effect on how people are communicating with each other and how, how loved or kind of how understood, understood they feel. So for people who are listening and, you know, maybe they just went through some of those big life changes or they felt a shift or they feel as if there's a problem, maybe, um, what are indications from your standpoint that this couples therapy is something they should really consider? Um, so major things to look for is increased conflict, right? whether there's been little to no conflict or, you know, some moderate conflict. If you notice just an, an uptick in that, um, for more than a few weeks, maybe even for more than a few months, um, I'd recommend couples therapy. What the research shows is that couples don't come to therapy, don't tend to come to therapy until five to seven years after a major problem. That most couples Five wait that years. Years. Most couples wait that long, and it's it's true. What comes into my room is that we've either always been this way, or something happened 
seven, eight years ago that I thought we resolved, and meaning I thought we resolved mean we stopped talking about it, but it pops up in all these other areas that don't look like the exact issue, but you don't trust this person anymore after there was an affair or after you saw something in the phone six years ago. You took your trust off of the table, and now it's creating all these other issues, but you didn't make that connection. All right, so again, so five to seven years, and that's just on average, um, that couples will wait after something has happened or after there's been a disconnect or after there's been a betrayal to come to therapy. So what it leaves therapists having to do is I've got to get all this backstory. So there's that thing that happened, and how did you resolve, quote, unquote, how did you resolve it? And oftentimes it sounds like, oh, we talked about it. Okay, well, okay, did you? Okay, well, we talked about it a few times, and then we just decided that we were going to move forward and um, be positive and just, you know, it's, what's happened is in the past. Let's not dwell on the past. Mm. Um, so that's oftentimes what comes in the room. So whether that be infidelity, some type of betrayal, some major change in their life, um, couples typically wait until crisis or when divorce comes up, and then couples therapy is the last resort. So what I would recommend is do not wait that long. Do not wait that long. Again, it can be so painful um, to have this quote-unquote loving relationship that doesn't feel loving anymore. You spend so much time in a home with a partner or parenting um, that to not have that part of your life fulfilled really takes a toll on you individually um, and can create other mental health issues for someone. So a, a breakdown in a relationship can absolutely lead to depressive symptoms, can absolutely lead to anxiety, um, can absolutely lead to lots of physical distress um, for people, and they don't recognize how much the relationship problems are really taking a toll on them. Um, so, yes, I wouldn't recommend like leaving. Hmm? I was just going to say, it sounds like a key part of what you're pointing out to people is talking about something doesn't mean that you dealt with it. Right, right. Oftentimes people talk about things, and that happens in the couples therapy too, where oftentimes I'm coaching people and helping them to get out of their heads. Oftentimes people talk from a very rationalized place, a very intellectual place. They can tell me all the stuff, but I can tell you're not feeling it at all. And couples can come in telling me terrible things that have happened, and they're just telling me very matter-of-factly, which tells me that at some point you took this thing off the table. You, it was too overwhelming, and you stopped feeling it. So now it's just like, yeah, well, you know, they cheated a long time ago, but we dealt with that. And you don't see they're not afflicted by any pain. They're not afflicted by anything. And we just, you know, stopped talking about it. And it, it hasn't happened since, so I'm good. And usually down the line we kind of unpack like, oh, I actually never got over that. I just told myself I did because that was the way to stay in this relationship. All the while, I'm side-eyeing you. I'm anxious whenever you go out. You know, I, I want to check your phone. Like, things like that come up. Um, I don't like going on vacation without you. And it's like, oh, well, they, they turn those things into norms for them. And what, what couples therapy can help them recognize is that that's not a healthy norm for you. It feels, it feels familiar now um, because that's been your coping mechanism, but that's actually not helping you. So it's getting people to kind of get out of their heads and really begin to feel what's happening or what they're missing um, and be able to communicate those needs to their partner. So, Dr. Abrams, you've shared um, a lot in our relatively short time together. Um, I know. But for people who want to – no, it's great. It's great. Um, and I'm sure there's going to be people who want to hear more from you. How do they get in contact with you in order to do that? So um, I do have a website that explains a little bit more about the couple therapy process as well. So my website is drabramsabh.com. So that's D-R-A-B-R-A-M-S, and the letters A-B-H.com. 
I also have an Instagram and a Facebook page. Um, so the Facebook page is the same name. It's, oh, not the same name, sorry. The Facebook page is at Ascension Behavioral Health. That's A-S-C-E-N-S-I-O-N, Behavioral Health. And you'll find kind of different things that I'm doing in the community and different information about um, mental health and therapy. And you can also find me on Instagram um, at dr underscore Ayana, A-Y-A-N-N-A underscore A, which is also where I share a lot of mental health information. Awesome. And we're going to have Dr. Abrams back for part two about the same topic, but we're going to delve more into black couples and black couples therapy. Uh, Dr. Abrams, thank you again. Absolutely.